Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 4. This week, this weekend, we were able for the first time since the pandemic to visit with my parents. And uh, I noticed on the way back last night that my Eastern North Carolina accent is in full effect. And so today, if you have difficulty understanding me at any point. Jim and Sue Etheridge are right over there and they will translate for you for they speak my language. <clears throat> Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your word today. And we pray, Lord, that today you would open it afresh to us. Lord, that we would hear what it is that you are saying to us. And that you are calling us to be people of the risen King. Lord, draw us close to you, that we may hear from you. Bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We find ourselves in a similar place as the early church did in this morning's text. They were a group starting a new community with only a semblance of structure, thanks to their strong, still strong links to Judaism. We have endured a long journey over these last 13 months as we contended with a world turned upside down by the COVID pandemic, a journey that still sadly continues. 
Our journey has, by necessity, caused us to rethink and reimagine our most basic considerations of what community is and how it is to be expressed. We have learned to use new mediums to provide the connection and community we need and very truthfully crave. We have learned not to take for granted the privilege of casual gatherings and expressions of common purpose and support. We grasp as we have never previously. The veracity of John Donne's assertion that no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a piece of the main. Now, we confess these connections to the main have been frayed under the strain and fatigue of the pandemic as we seek to resurrect community. Let us remember then what resurrection is. For it is not simply a revival of life to something that was once dormant. It is the putting on of something new, something better. The pandemic has given us a tremendous opportunity to re-examine how we do things. A year interrupted has allowed us to take stock of those things which are truly important and more pointedly necessary and which things do not meet that standard. It has enabled us to allow some things to die peacefully if we would allow them to do so. We cannot be quick to say let's return to what once was conceived as normal for to do so would be a repudiation of the gift God has given us for this moment. It would be a step backwards when the entire world is desperately heaving and convulsing in an attempt to move forward. I remind you, as I have on many other occasions, that the God we serve informed Moses that his name is the I Am. In other words, he dwells in the present reality. Yes, he was in the vaunted past, and he has assured us of his presence in the ages to come. The presence of God in the past means that what once was had value and should be honored. Our embrace of the new does not remand the old to being designated as bad. However, if we are to be conformed to God's likeness, we must join Him in the present. The Scriptures teach that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, today, the present. To be sure that the songwriter Matt Mayer was correct when he penned those words and where you are, Lord, I am free. And really, beloved, has not the last year instilled in us an abiding yearning to be free, 
to join God where He is and breathe in His freedom. We should note, though, as we seek to resurrect community, that our pursuit is not to be done with reckless abandon. We serve a God of order, and He calls us to be a people of order. As has previously been mentioned, our search for a model for where we are currently takes us back to the earliest days of the church. They were creating a new community with some of the constraints that bound them being their continued ties to Judaism. We are resurrecting community with our constraints being a resolve to keep the best of yesterday and a desire to fully engage with the present. How then do we employ what made the early church so successful? First, we remain united. Verse 32 begins by saying, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. We read these words and may think them unattainable, for I believe that we have created an unnecessary standard for which to understand unity. Our polarized society has birthed an atmosphere where if you do not believe everything as I believe it, then you have to be my foe. This atmosphere has caused us to no longer have a hierarchy of beliefs where some things are essential and some things are just preference. Everything has become essential now and because everything is essential, it means that we have designed ourselves individually as the sole judge of what is right and wrong. Beloved, it does not have to be this way, nor should it be. We must be a community that recognizes what is truly essential, with the number one spot on that list being that we are called to cast a wide net that we may be fishers of people so that they may test, taste the sweet nectar of God's grace and unite around this mission. Verse 33 tells us that great grace was upon them in the early church, and so should it be on us. We should have grace to recognize what is by necessity important to being a good witness of Jesus and leave the rest to be enveloped by grace. If we have a list of essentials that are longer than our list of preferences, we have made it impossible to create unity. We also severely limit our ability to find any common ground on which to reach the lost and hurting, thereby pushing farther away the ones we are called to save. Secondly, we should notice that these first Christians were consumed with a sense of urgency. We see this in the fact that they sold all of their possessions and lived with a common purse according to the reminder, remainder of verse 32. Indeed, verse 36 tells us, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, 
sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We are not told where the field that Barnabas sold was located. But as I read the text, I get the impression that it was back in Cyprus. Barnabas' real estate transaction says, I'm not going back home. There are things here that I have to give my full attention to. I can't be worried about the crop yields on a distant island. My place is here. Beloved, how often are we emboldened by what Dr. Martin Luther King once referred to as the fierce urgency of now? We cannot be a people who simply talk a good game. We have to be a people who act on that talk. I love a good discussion. I love to get into the nuts and bolts of an issue and understand every nuance. However, beloved, we are no longer granted the luxury to do this on every single thing we face. The world is simply moving too fast. One of the things that I have grown to love about ministry in the midst of pandemic is that I am in few, far, far fewer meetings and most are on Zoom. The dialogues that have occurred are more focused than ever before and it has been a breath of fresh air for I truly believe it has allowed us to do more. If we believe that the world is in as desperate shape as people say it is, then we have to be consumed by the urgency of this moment. We must spend more time running out to engage those who are drowning in sorrow and sin and less time standing on the ditch banks wringing our hands and trying to discuss what to do. We should quickly assess the situation and then tie a rope around our waist, tie off one end and jump in and try to save them. Our actions must match the urgent moment. It was a March afternoon in 2010 and Enfield Baptist had recently taken uh, adoption of a path out from town to clean up and adopt a highway. And the week before the DOT uh, had worked and uh, had gone down the ditch banks and they had dug out the ditches so that the ditches were not short and neat, they were deep and deep. And Eliza and I were on our stretch of the road and we were trying to clean up as best we could and we had these long reachy things that would pick stuff up and and there was all this stuff in one end of that ditch. And I said to her, I can get it. And she says, no, you can't. And I said, dear, I can get it. I promise you, I can get it. I can reach out and I can get it. And we can do our part to make God's world a cleaner place. And she said, you're going to fall in and I'm not going to be able to get you out. 
Well, sure enough, I knew better. And down I went. And as I strained with my T-Rex arms to just get that last beer can out of that ditch, my T-Rex arm and my T-Rex legs found mud and everything else imaginable. Eliza is now laying on the ground trying to reach me in this ditch and pull me up. And church members are driving by, blowing the horn and waving <laughs> and wondering where the preacher is. Discussing it in their cars. That's a lot of talk and no action. We have to meet the urgent moment, beloved. We have to. People are in the ditch and they got to get out. Now there are a few other things that present themselves in the actions of these first Christians in selling all that they had it shows us and shows them to be a prophetic people. The modern church has really convoluted the word prophetic such that we have pigeonholed it to pertaining simply to apocalyptic understandings. Such understandings are only a thimble of what biblical prophecy actually entails. For example, while Assyria was still very much a superpower looking invincible and unconquerable, the prophet Nahum was going around Judah prophesying the soon demise of Assyria. When verse 33 tells us that the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they are saying again and again that the Jewish religious leaders who had stirred the crowds against Jesus and the Roman authorities who had executed him only thought they were in charge. God really was in charge and proves it by resurrecting Jesus. God has the final say, they say, in an alternative narrative to what they, the world believed. Beloved, we must return to providing our society a truly biblical narrative that runs against the prevailing winds of the day. In a society that creates hierarchies based on race, sex, ethnicity, and socioeconomic position, we must say, as Paul did to the Galatians, that in Christ those hierarchies do not exist. In Christ there is no Greek or Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are united in Christ. The fact that the early church busted down the norms of economic disparity, as verse 34 tells us, such that, quote, there was not a needy person among them, 
provides the first truly visible sign that they are practicing a prophetic truth that Paul has yet to even pen. Beloved, the world will never believe our message if our message is not different from the same garbage they are bombarded with every second of every day. If we do not seek to raise up those who have been cast down and ensure that all are treated as they are, equal in the eyes of God. Notice also that the selling of their lands and living in shared community is a declaration and affirmation of reliance. They had nothing else to fall back on once they gave their belongings to the group. They relied on every person to not only do the right thing, but to do all they could to ensure the survival of the group. Verse 32 states, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Telling us that there was no concentration of power amongst them. No one said, that's not my job. They all pitched in. They all considered their brother or sister more important than themselves. There were no rights to be defended, no power to be guarded. There was only the beautiful privilege of serving the risen Lord. How well do we match the early Christian's witness, beloved? Do we think that we are more important than another brother or sister? Do we think differently than our Lord as we assert that we have come to be served and not to serve? Power means we do not need anyone. Living as the beloved community means a divesting of power so that the community at large is divested with the power to act. The world would think that the ideals espoused in our text by the early church were utopian and unattainable. Our task, beloved, today is to show them they are wrong. A world that seeks to create a utopian dream with a dystopian ethic must be upended by a church that can prove to a utopian, point to a utopian hope by embodying the ideals of the beloved community. The church in a modern America has lost these ideals, I believe. And the only hope for our society is resurrecting the biblical beloved community to engage the new world awakening from the horrors of the pandemic. The question for us is, will we meet this moment? Will we act in the fierce urgency of now to recreate community, to resurrect community in such a way that we, yes, honor our past, but we reach beyond into the future 
reach beyond into the future to show those yet not in community that we believed in them and the power of God to save them before they did by changing ourselves now to meet them there. I say this often on the Tuesday and Thursday groups. I say it now. Is this easy? No. No. But beloved, understand something. If it was easy, you wouldn't need grace. If it was easy, you wouldn't need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do it. If it was easy, you could do all this right by your lonesome. God does not call His church to the easy. He sent His Son to take the difficult path, the path that was the way of suffering and the cross as an example to each of us. The ideals of the beloved community of the resurrected community are too important for us to just simply say it's too hard. It should say, Lord, it's hard and because it is, I'm going to prove that you are who you say you are by embracing it, engaging it, and living it. Will you take that task today? Let's pray. Lord, you do not call us to the easy, but you do call us to the hard. And now, Lord, you've given us a great task to, to meet a world that has full of questions. Some people are wondering how they survived and others didn't. Some people are wondering how, how others made it through and were successful while they themselves have seemingly been lost in the midst of this great cry of dystopian thought in our world. The answer is the church, Lord, we know that, but we confess we sometimes don't live that. So help us to do that today. Help us to be the beloved community. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.